morning, church family. Good to see you guys. Uh, as you may have noticed from the title, taking a, a brief departure from our expository series on the book of Acts. Um, so if you're visiting with us today, whether in person or online, um, just know this. Um, first of all, thank you. We're honored that you're here, um, to, that you chose to be here with us. But I want to let you know that today's, um, today's message is not really typical for our services, usually we, we practice a method that's called expository preaching, where we, we dig into one book of the Bible over several weeks uh, or months, even years, that's true. Uh, Luke went, what, two and a half, three years? Um, and Acts probably will get close to the two-year mark as well. But that's okay. Um, that's how we do this. We talk about the context. We talk about uh, how it applied to the original audience and then how, how we, we Christians today, can apply that in our own understanding you know, and, and how we can recognize the character of God in Scripture, and we can become more like Jesus. So, personally, I, I think that expository preaching is the best form of preaching when you're preaching to a group of Christians, uh, to a congregation, because the Bible is the Word of God. And when you are carefully examining God's Word, I, I think that is the best way to grow in your faith, the best way to grow in your uh, orthopraxy, which is right practice, um, I mean, frankly, you, you guys probably know this, especially if you know me out of the pulpit. What I have to say is really unimportant <laughs> if it's not scriptural. Um, and so what God has to say, though, is incredibly important. It can be the difference between life and death, between joy and misery, even between heaven and hell. So it's extremely valuable. That is why we spend so much time looking at the Word of God. We put a very high value on Scripture, okay? Because we believe it to be breathed out by God, as 2 Timothy 3 says, and, and that it's useful for teaching and admonishing and correcting and training in righteousness so that God's people can be mature and can be complete. And, and for the last several months, I've been primarily, let's do a few, you know, little rabbit trails here and there, but primarily preaching through the book of Acts. We would be somewhere in chapter 5 today. We're going to be there next week, I think, if I stick to the plan. But, but don't worry. Again, I plan to come back to Acts. But I think God was leading me to share a different message with you guys today. And, and there's, been, there's been some things that have stuck in my head um, or, or even stuck in my craw. Um, for you non-Texans, that means they irritated me. Um, and, and so while the kids are, are finding the bingo pictures in this slide and, and um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're doing the, the crossword or the, the word search, then you can use those underlined words there. But, and that's kind of hard to read. So in case you can't read it, it says, or standing in a kneeling world. Lessons from the Olympics or standing in a kneeling world. So let me ask this. Are there any diehard Olympic fans out here? One. Okay. <laughs> well, we've got some neighbors that are, are really good friends of ours, and they are just nuts for the Olympics. They dressed their baby up as a torch. It wasn't on fire, don't worry. Um, and, and they had themed snacks, you know, while they were watching the Olympics. Um, but I'll tell you straight up, I'm not a huge Olympics fan. Uh, in fact, it's, it's very rare that our family pays any attention to any sport at all. It's just not our thing. We just don't care. I just don't care, okay? Um, but as a generally patriotic person, I'm thankful to live in this country, okay? And I like the fact that the United States is, it usually represents really well in the Olympics. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, athletes in the United States have actually won more than three times the number of medals of any other single nation. I think that's pretty cool, you know? 
Um, but, you know, to me, the, the pageantry gets in the way of the events. Um, anyway, I didn't watch the Olympics, but I did keep up with some of what was happening this time around because uh, things kept showing up in my newsfeed, you know, as it probably did for some of you guys. And some of those things were hard to ignore. And last Sunday, last Sunday was the final day of the summer games, okay? So instead of the usual expository sermon, I felt led to do a one-off topical message of what we, we and we, as Christians, can learn from things that happened in this year's summer games. So again, if you're visiting with us in person or online, just be aware this is atypical. But I'm convinced there are at least five things that we can learn from this year's summer games, whether by good example or by bad example, that reinforce what the Word of God has already shown us, okay? So I don't want you to think I'm preaching from the Olympics. I'm preaching from the Word of God, but the Olympics draws my mind to different parts of this, and so I really believe this is, is valuable and it's going to be helpful for us. So if you're willing to join me in this endeavor, then let's pray together and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today preaching your word to your people through the power of your spirit. And Father, I ask that as we, uh, as we deviate from our, our standard practice this morning, that each person that's here will gain something of value from, uh, from what they hear. Father, I pray that, uh, that this is not just me speaking, Lord. I pray that it is your word and, and again, the power of your spirit that is speaking to your people because God, this is, this is uh, it's only valuable if it's from you. And so, Lord, help each of us to learn something and, and to take that home with us and let it take root and bear fruit in our lives. And, Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, just, just because we're not in Acts, don't put your Bibles away. Or if you, you scroll on your phone, don't put your phone away because you may want to be looking up the passages that I'm using to, to support these five points. Okay, so if you are a Christian, as I am... <laughs> Here is the first thing that I believe this Olympic season can teach you. Church, don't reject whom you represent. I'm going to say that again. Don't reject whom you represent or claim to represent. Now, for those of you who, who don't know this, and, and don't feel bad because I didn't. I hadn't really thought about the process before. There are some very rigorous standards that people have to pass before they gain entry into the Olympics as an athlete that's allowed to compete. It, it's, it's not just, I used to think, well, every nation just sends the best they have to compete. That's not how it works, okay? Every athlete that's there has to achieve a certain level of proficiency in their chosen sport or their chosen event before they can even enter the competition, okay? And then that person is expected to do their best and try to win, right, obviously, but also to play by the rules and to behave with humility and grace whether they win or lose. And if an Olympian looks bad because of their attitude or because of their actions, it reflects on their nation, whether that's fair to their country or not. Now, in the past, I believe that most Olympic athletes understood that and tried to show their loyalty and their gratitude to their homeland for sponsoring them, right? To be a representative in front of the entire world. But not all of them, okay? But in these two pictures that you see up here, they might be a little small, um, but hopefully when we switch slides, we'll see the next two pictures. Um, we're gonna see what happens to be the exact opposite. Here on the left, you see uh, a hammer thrower, the US hammer thrower, Gwen Berry, who is intentionally standing with her back to the flag. She has a look of disgust on her face. 
And then on the right, uh, with the purple hair, this is Megan. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I want to say it's Rapino or Rapino, but uh, and most of the U.S. women's soccer team kneeling during their country's national anthem, even as the team that they were playing stood out of respect. Now, folks, let me be clear. I am not here to debate the politics of this. Now, you guys probably know I, I lean to the right of center, okay? But, but that's not the point of this message, okay? I'm certain that all Christians should agree that racism is sinful, no matter who is being racist. If you're a Christian, you better understand that. And we should also see that the vast majority as Christians, we should recognize the vast majority of law enforcement in this country are honest and diligent people who want to serve and protect the public. But there are some bad apples. We can all agree on that, too. That is not the issue here. Okay? What I want to explain is how, how inappropriate, how morally wrong it is to spit in the face of whom or what you're supposed to be serving as an ambassador for. You understand what I'm saying? This isn't, listen, this, we're not talking about LeBron James. I'm not talking about Colin Kaepernick. You know, these are Olympic athletes, American representatives showing disdain for their country. This is the U.S. women's soccer team refusing to respect the nation that they purport to represent. Do you see how wrong that is? Church, what about us? Who do we represent? Who, Sarah? God. God. What did you say, Craig? Christ. Yes. Who do we represent? We represent the Lord. Amen? We represent Jesus Christ. We represent God, the Father, who Jesus Christ perfectly represented. And so our readings this morning, they're from 2 Corinthians, and, and I want us to just go back over some of them. Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Boy, I love that scripture. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, hold on. What's he talking about? Okay. Christ reconciled us to himself. Paul is talking about Jesus atoning death on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. And, and Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, he left the glories of heaven to become a human being, to live a perfectly, completely obedient life to his, to his Father in, in, the, in the face of God, quorum Deo, so that his death would serve as a sufficient payment for the sins of mankind, of you, of me, for our sins. Now continuing, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I want you to pause there again. We are ambassadors for Christ. He's, he's saying that God made peace with us, his enemies, through Jesus. He provided the way that we can be forgiven and counted righteous. And then he entrusted his people with that message. That message of reconciliation to spread to others. And, and like Paul, we are his ambassadors to the world. We're supposed to be representing Jesus so that the world will know who Jesus is and what God did through him. Once again, that is the crux of the gospel. And that's a pretty massive responsibility. Because as Paul continues, it's God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like the song we sang earlier, Jesus became sin on the cross so that we, you and, and me and, and anyone who comes to Jesus in repentant faith, we could not only avoid the penalty for our sin, but also the dominion of sin. It's power over us. We are the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did. Does that, does that click in your head? We are the righteousness of God. And then he rose from the grave, physically, not just a story, not a myth. At a time in history, Jesus physically rose from the grave, just as one day we will rise from the, from the dead. And both, both, we did it as we became a Christian, spiritually, by grace, through faith. But then when we do that, we take on the role of ambassador. So one day we're going to rise physically again, just as Jesus did. But in this time, in this place, we're brought from the dead, as Ephesians chapter 2 says. You know, we were once dead in our sins and transgressions, but God raised us up. So when you confess your faith in Jesus, and when you're immersed in water, that is your inauguration ceremony. You've, you've been handed the torch. And the world is watching, church. They're paying attention to, to how we represent Christ and, and the, who, who bought us by his blood. You know, they're paying attention to, to what we do. And when we, when we are alleged Christians who reject Christ or worse, you know, when we're, when we're rejecting him knowingly. Guys, that, that just destroys our witness. What does that do for the reputation of Christ? Even when we just don't reflect him, it damages his reputation. What, what does that say to the world about the value of Jesus Christ? I mean, really, I want you to think about this. When we're not reflecting Christ, or worse, when we reject the biblical Jesus. There's a, a former, thank God, former preacher uh, who, who lives nearby. And he, he preached a message in his church entitled, Why I'm an Atheist and You Should Be Too. I'm not telling tales out of school here. This was on Facebook. You can actually still go back and look. Thank God that church took the sermon down eventually, but you can still see the link. November of 2015. Okay? And I knew it was intended to be clickbait and provocative, so I tried to withhold judgment until I listened to the sermon. In church, it was an absolutely horrible message. Okay? And what it boiled down to was, if I have to believe in the God that most Christians believe in, then I'm an atheist. And the biggest problem is that he described the God of the Bible. This is an alleged Christian pastor. You know, God is a harsh judge. And thankfully, mercy triumphs over judgment. But for those who reflect his, his love, he is a wonderful Savior. And for those who reject his love, he is a harsh judge. 
The God in the Bible doesn't fit our warm and fuzzy idea always of what we think he should look like. And friends, I'm going to tell you, I was sickened that this alleged pastor was teaching his congregation to reject the God that he claimed to represent. Thank God he is no longer in vocational ministry. I, I hope God saves him. I really do. But what about all the people who, who, who liked his post and then heard the message and allowed it to sway them? You know, church, church, we don't throw God under the bus. You know that, right? And we don't throw other Christians under the bus either. The faith that the Bible presents is true. The God of the Bible is the true God. Jesus really is the only way and truth and life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And he really did die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. And there really will be a judgment on those who reject him. And, and I hope and pray none of you are in that group. The world wants you to kneel and turn your back on the Lord. But we must not. We are his ambassadors. Don't reject who you claim to represent. And, and re remember that rejection can take the form of claiming Christ while living in known, intentional, unrepentant sin. They have a form of godliness but deny its power. Rejection can mean claiming to love God while hating your brother. Scripture says you cannot love your brother whom you've seen if you do not love, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. You cannot love God whom you have not seen if you do not love your brother whom you can see. That's another form of rejection. It doesn't have to be as overt as openly turning your back to him. So, so friends, listen, embrace the role of ambassador for God and continue spreading the gospel message, the good news of reconciliation between God and man. Don't reject whom you represent. Now, thankfully, we have a, a, a Tamira Mensa stock. I may be pronouncing it wrong. It may be Tamira, but she's a gold medalist who stood draped in the American flag. And, and she said, I love representing the U.S. I love living here. I love it. And I'm so happy I get to represent the USA. And she's our, she's our next example, by the way. So uh, she's a good example in this case. By the way, you're going to notice these categories are going to bleed into each other. Okay? That's all right. They're not as distinct as maybe I'd like them to be, but that's, that's real life, okay? The next lesson we can learn from the Olympics is the importance of learning to give credit to God for what we have and what we accomplish. Now, particularly on the spiritual front, since the word is clear that, that anything good that we do is the Lord working in us both to will and to act according to what he wants, to his good purpose, okay? We know this. The same young lady that I just quoted, uh, Tamara Mintzostock, she, she won the gold medal in the women's light heavyweight division for wrestling. Light heavyweight's funny to me. It reminds me of jumbo shrimp. You know, it's like, what does that even mean? Um, this, this is her celebrating the win. Um, Tamara is quoted as saying, it's by the grace of God I'm even able to move my feet. She says, I just leave it in his hands and I pray that all the practice my coaches put me through pays off and every single time it does. Now listen, that, that is not to discount her, her hard work and her discipline. You don't get guns like that, you know, unless you work hard for them. But I want you to just understand this. She's right in saying that it's all God's grace. She's right. 
It's important for us to, be, uh, to believe this, to understand this as Christians. Again, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Our justification before God is not based on anything that we've done or could do. Period. It's based on what Jesus did. It's entirely a gift of God. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know, that, that not only applies to, to our salvation by his gift of faith, but also to our growth in the Holy Spirit as we mature. I mean, even, even the great apostle, Paul, he, he proclaimed it was the power of God working in him that gave him the strength to continue. We see that in the often misquoted Philippians 4.13. We see that in Colossians 1.27. It's by God's power, by God's grace. And when we acknowledge this, when we recognize that God is our strength, when we recognize we are operating entirely by his grace, it's a lot harder to lose the humility that every Christian ought to have. There's another example I'd like to mention besides Tamira. She's even more blatant about her faith. Sydney, now I'm going to probably mispronounce that. Sydney McLaughlin. Does anybody know? Am I saying that right? Nobody watches the Olympics, so <laughs> I'm going to say McLaughlin. Sydney McLaughlin, who just set a new world record in the women's 400-meter hurdles, was quoted as saying, I have never seen God fail in my life, in anyone's life for that matter. Just because I may not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desires does not mean that God has failed. His will is perfect, and he has prepared me for a moment such as this, that I may use the gifts he has given me to point all the attention back to him. And that beautiful quote is, it's a segue into our next lesson on this year's Olympics. Christian, use your influence for his glory. Use your influence for his glory. Glory. Now, now, nowadays, most, most of our main influencers are on a platform of some kind. You know, maybe they have a podcast or they're on television, social media, maybe they're, maybe they're a politician, maybe they're in the movies or in the music world. You know, and, and sometimes, you guys, you know this, there is no valid reason a person has influence other than the fact that they're famous. I mean, who even knows where some of these folks come from? What is a Kardashian? <laughs> you know, who is Paris Hilton? Who cares what they think, right? But, but occasionally, occasionally, an outspoken Christian will accomplish something that puts them out in front of the world. And if that Christian uses their platform to magnify and glorify God, that is a powerful witness. You know, it's, again, Sydney McLaughlin says she's been a really wonderful example in this regard. I want to read a couple of her quotes to you guys. Um, after setting a world, I think this was right after she set the world record, her opening statement to her fans was, let me start off by saying what an honor it is to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't seem possible. He will make a way out of no way, not for my own gratification, but for his glory. In another place, she said, I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. She says, I don't deserve anything, but by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Woo! Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, guys. Powerful stuff. Records come and go, she says. But the glory of God is eternal. 
Thank you, Father. <laughs> wow, that, that's a 21-year-old woman. 21 years old who has achieved something that no one else in recorded history has accomplished. And she's saying, turn the camera on Jesus Christ. I love it. But, but like me, most of you are not going to break any world records anytime soon. Right? So, so the question is, how do, how do we use our influence, right, for the glory of God? Fame, fame is just not in the cards for most of us. It's just not. But consider Paul. I mean, he was a scruffy missionary. He was covered in scars. He was often in jail. And yet his influence was tremendous because he was lifting up Christ rather than exalting himself. And we have his letters and we have his actions recorded in the book of Acts. And I think we can do the same thing as Paul. Whatever our circumstances might be. In fact, in fact it was Paul that wrote, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You get what that means, church? He's, he's not just talking about grand endeavors. This covers everything. Everything. Eating and drinking. Preaching. Listening. Singing to the Lord. Driving. Ooh. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> yes, even driving. Parenting. Grandparenting. You know, how, how you use the things you own, the sort of recreation that you choose, what you say on social media like Facebook or Twitter or the emails that you forward, all of this should be done for the glory of God. Okay, so, so what else? What's another lesson we Christians can learn from this year's Olympics? Another young lady, by the way, all of these examples are women, all of them. Uh, except the last one. That's not by design. It's just what's been in the news. So I just want to say that. Anyway, another young lady named Carly Lloyd provides a viable example of how to resist the pressure to conform. Okay? In this case, to conform to the foolishness of, of dishonoring whom you represent. How many of you have heard of Carly Lloyd? Anybody? Just, just a couple. Okay? Does anybody remember what she did that was noteworthy besides scoring a couple of goals on behalf of the United States of America? Anybody? She stood. She's a soccer player, the only member of the U.S. women's soccer team, including the, the, the coaches and everyone, the only member of the U.S. soccer team, women's soccer team, who refused to kneel during the national anthem. And there's a famous or maybe infamous picture of it. Um, it's, it's up here. You can kind of see... Uh, up on the side there, that little circle, you see her standing while her teammates are kneeling. Now, I, I've read that Carly, that she did choose to, to kneel in solidarity with her teammates on some previous occasions, but I think somewhere in between that and this Olympic game, she went from woke to awake. I think Ms. Lloyd was struck by the realization that her friends might not appreciate that she refused to join them in their display of disrespect, but I think she understood that the majority of her nation did appreciate that she refused to kneel. And folks, that's who she represents. She doesn't represent her team, she represents the United States of America. And listen, friend, you, you may represent your family, or your church family here at Crossroad, or even Christians in general. But first and foremost, you represent Jesus Christ. Above all else. 
So no matter what is happening around you, no matter what, what, what foolishness the church may allow to creep within its walls or, or, or politically or morally or behaviorally, you must first be loyal to Christ. And this is going to require personal sacrifice. And we know this because the Bible tells us so. You know, Jesus said, no one can be his disciple without taking up their cross daily, right? In Romans 12, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God or in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, I don't know why they put spiritual there, <laughs> because literally the Greek says, your reasonable service. It's, it's only logical. Based on everything Jesus has done, it is only logical that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't be conformed to the foolishness around you. Don't crack under the pressure. Don't buy into the lies. I love how the J.B. Phillips paraphrase translates this passage. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. He's so British, he puts the you in remold, <laughs> you know? But I love that. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. God renews our minds when we stay focused on him and when we are rooted deeply in his word. And that's, that's, guys, that's why it matters so much that we read the word, that, that, we, that we memorize it, that we believe it, that we study, that we internalize the word. His word is the safeguard against all the stupidity and the wickedness that besieges us day in and day out. And, and church, listen, make no mistake, we are being besieged. You are being besieged. You are under siege by the powers of this world, by the powers of Satan. There are, there are ideas and ideals, okay, both, that will try to draw you away from truth, like, like cultural Marxism or like the trans movement. And there will be circumstances that will make you question whether the faith is worth it as more and more people, are, they start joining in the mocking and, and the hating of, of biblical beliefs and biblical values. Your flesh nature also is against you. It's going to try to cause you to stumble into sin and, and then fall so that you can't get up again. Listen, by the power of God's Spirit, though, you must stand when everyone else is kneeling or else you've already lost the battle. Let me tell you why. Because the world has gone crazy. The world has gone crazy. Listen, friends, what I'm, what I'm about to say will be characterized incorrectly as bigotry or hatred by many worldly people, but it needs to be said plainly. The world is nuts. And proof of it is in the fact that in the Olympics... A biological man was allowed to compete in the women's weightlifting competition. Yes, a New England, excuse me, a New Zealand man born Gavin Hubbard, who at the age of 41 decided that he was no longer male. He began to undergo hormone therapy and operations in order to identify falsely as a female. Okay? 
And so Gavin, who is a heavyweight lifter, changed his name to Laurel, and the Olympic Committee, bizarrely and against all common sense, determined that he would be allowed to compete against biological women who had spent most of, of their lives training and preparing themselves to be the strongest woman on earth. Listen, I am clearly not a woman, but that infuriates me on behalf of women. That is ridiculous. It is sickening. What foolishness to allow this, this opportunistic, mentally ill man to compete unfairly against women in their own sport category that shows a total disregard for science, for common sense, for scripture. In the beginning, God created man, male and female, he created them. And it is a disregard for women as well. I mean, how, how is that fair? How is that right for women to be subjected to this mockery of who you are? This is just the, the obvious tip of the iceberg, though, folks. You know, a USC professor recently begged for forgiveness from his class for insinuating that only females give birth. How dare he? In a state prison in California, a female inmate just turned up pregnant after sharing a cell with a man who identifies as a woman. Y'all, the person who was just crowned Miss Nevada is a gender dysphoric man. Did you know that? Or was it Arizona? Okay. So I guess you did know that. <laughs> How insulting to the women in that competition! It's how nonsensical, how sick, how backwards. The world has gone crazy. And the Bible has made it very clear what this means for those who fall under the spell of this insanity. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That is what is happening, church. The world is saying that women are men and men are women. God made men and women distinct and different, and it's beautiful, and our differences complement each other, and that's wonderful. But the world is teaching the opposite. The world is teaching that sex is okay between any consenting participants, regardless of age, gender, number, marital status, and I'm not kidding, species in some cases. I'm not kidding. This is where the world has gone. The world is exalting dishonesty and immorality and violence. It's gone crazy, and Scripture tells us where it leads. Listen, I'm going to read a passage. It's rather lengthy, but it's directly from the Word of God, and I think you're going to find it to be descriptive of what's happening today. This is Romans 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath, the righteous fury of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the, the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, that means worthless, deceived in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature 
rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God, listen, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up then to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, inventors of evil. I skipped some. Insolent, haughty, boastful. Got to go back to those. Disobedient to parents. Hello. Foolish. Faithless, heartless, ruthless. Do you see, church? Do you see, do you see the descent into the abyss? Do you see the, the, the downward spiral of depravity? And now we come to the bottom of the drain. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. See, they've not just begun to to do these things, they are high-fiving each other for engaging in wickedness. This is about as bad as it gets before fiery judgment is levied. Church, do not fall for this. Do not reject whom you represent. Give God all of the, the credit and the glory instead and refuse to kneel when the world commands it. We must kneel only to the Lord, not to the world. One, one final scripture and we'll close. The same, the same apostle who wrote those words in Romans, Paul, also wrote this to his protege, Timothy. He, he, he wanted to encourage Timothy to, to keep standing in a kneeling world. And he said this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's a promise too. But as for you, he writes, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And the rest of the passage reveals he's talking about the faith that is in Jesus Christ as it's revealed in the scriptures. Friends, we, we cannot escape the world while we're in it. Nor is that why God has us here. Remember, he, he, we are here to bless the world. To bless the world that through our witness, God might draw some people to himself and save them. So stand firm, friends. Stand firm, church. Stand firm, family, by, by the power of God and with reliance on his grace and, and one another's encouragement. Stand on the rock. Refuse to reject him, whatever may come, and he will not reject you. Amen? Amen. We're going to have an invitation, and uh, I, I think Danny's going to come up and play something. Um, and during this time, just listen. If, if you're at that place where you go, you know what? I'm I'm deceived. All along, I've been falling for this mess. I need prayer. I need somebody to, to come and lay hands on me and pray. We challenge you. I invite you to come forward and, and let us do that. Or if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and today you realize, wow, he really did die on the cross for my sins, and I really am a sick person in need of a doctor, in need of a savior, because I'm lost. If that's you today, then I challenge and invite you. Come forward. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Be immersed as Scripture commands. If you've done those steps and you just go, you know what, I, I just need help, <laughs> we're here for you too.
Just like I know you're here for me. Guys, I need help. I ask you frequently, pray for your pastor. I need it. You need it. We are a family. And we are in a sick, twisted, depraved world that desperately needs salt and light. We're not here to make a little bubble and be in our little Christian bubble and not interact with it. That is not how it works. We're in the world, but not of it. So if the Lord is moving you in any way today, I, I ask that you don't ignore the Holy Spirit's call. 